list. All right. Good afternoon and welcome. We are unnamed. We're going to come up with a, a name. I have Dana Diaz with me. I'm so excited. She's not really with me. She's co-hosting. So I'm so excited about this. We are doing a new series on narcissism, awareness, what you can do, how you can help yourself, how you can help others. And I'm so excited because this is so desperately needed and it's not out there. So I couldn't think of a better person to do this with. I have to tell you, I finished her book, Asking for Air. Oh my God, this book is so good that it is a must read. I'm serious. If anyone's ever been in a narcissistic situation, because I don't want to call it a relationship because a relationship is two people together. If you've ever been in a situation of narcissism, you have to read this book. Like, I work 20 hours a day and I'm like literally doing pages while I'm trying to like prep for shows and stuff. It is so good. You can't put it down. And of course she wrote it. She's going to do another one here soon. So I can't thank you enough for uh, co-hosting with me. Oh, thank you so much for asking me to. I, I agree with you that we need to talk about this more because, you know, as in any abusive situation, victims are, are hushed. We are silenced. We are afraid to speak up because God forbid you expose the abuser. Um, you know, there's consequences you never know. And, you know, people don't realize that narcissistic abuse, it's not necessarily its own type of abuse. It's just when a narcissist is abusing you. But the problem with narcissists are that they are all powerful, at least they think rules don't apply to them. They have no remorse and they're so unpredictable. So you have no idea. They could do something as little as what you can call bullying with the verbal abuse, but it can go all the way from, you know, to, to the furthest extent of physical abuse to where it's straight up domestic violence. And, you know, even a lot of these true crime shows, you know, my husband and I watch them at night, like 48 hours or whatever. And, you know, a lot of times he'll look at me and say, it sounds like your ex or it's that's a narcissist. And I'm like, exactly, exactly. They go to the extent to that they will kill you yes. to fulfill whatever it is that they're trying to fulfill. Or usually if it's a situation like that, it's because they're offended that you have called them out or expose them for who they are because they can't risk that mask coming off because in public, these are people going to church, they're school teachers, they're, you know, volunteering, they're charitable, they're wonderful, but they're not, they're not. It's a big all. facade. Absolutely. It's a huge facade. And these, you know, people start, especially if it's not just in a relationship, but back at childhood, which I've noticed that there's not really a lot of talk about, which I would love to start talking about for both of us in that realm where childhood started, because it took me forever to realize that it was my childhood that put me in the, to the line of my relationships mm -hmm. that put me in with my abuser. And that took me so long to learn. And what just fascinates me and not in the fascinating way people will take it is that those who need to go on the couch for therapy, they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Those of us who have been <laughs> at the end of the abuse we're the ones who live on that, on that couch. Like we have a permanent seat with our name on it, but yes. the abusers don't think they have a reason to go to therapy and it's insulting yeah. to them if you even suggest such. 
Well, it's insulting even to me. I can't tell you how many times in my life, whether I've broken down or had some, you know, depression about something that, you know, and people say, oh, you need help. You need to get help. And I'm like, no, you know what? I've got my issues. I have, <laughs> I have to deal with the consequences of what people did to me, but they're the ones that need help. Absolutely. But like you said, that's why when people talk about narcissistic personality disorder, eh, I mean, I, I, if you want to slap a label on it, fine, but tell me any human being that's a true narcissist that's going to go to the doctor and say, I think I have narcissistic personality disorder. They're not going to do that unless there's something in it for them. There would have to be some really big benefit Chaos, yeah. th that they could use as some advantage, but otherwise it's very highly unlikely that they're going to go. The only time a narcissist goes to therapy um, is when it's usually couples counseling because they're having trouble in their relationships. Cause like you said, they don't know how to have a relationship, but they are there to prove that the other person's crazy. Right. That person's the, the problem because they right. will not take accountability. Yeah. And they truly feel that everything that they say and do and, and their reactions are valid, justifiable, and it's never their fault. They are always the victim. It's always somebody else did it. Somebody else made them do it. They're never accountable. And it makes it so frustrating. So yeah, you're never going to get them on the couch, but we have to deal with it. We have to deal with, you know, being told we're crazy. We have all these problems. We have mental issues. And, and that's something that just gnaws at me when people want to slap that stigma on us, because then you have a lot of people walking around saying, I'm broken, I'm damaged, and they're not broken or damaged. They're not. Right. Are they having a little more trouble dealing with certain situations? Do certain things maybe trigger them that they have to work a little harder to self-regulate? Yeah. And it sucks. Nobody wants to be that way but it doesn't define us as people. It doesn't define who we are inside and what our capabilities are and what our potential and our dreams and plans and wishes and whatever else. But people want to stick us in this little box, like put us in this little compartment that, you know, we're damaged, we're no good anymore. And, and making somebody feel that deficiency about themselves is so disgusting to me because if anything, we should be helping people like we help each other, um, you know, to raise us up and encourage and uplift because I don't care who you are, but you're capable of whatever you want to do, you know, regardless of where you came from and your circumstances, but certainly the circumstances we came from, especially in our childhoods. And then, you know, what we, the trauma we deal with as adults definitely affects our abilities to do the things that we're trying to do. Right. And we have so many things, Dana, that it's like obstacles in the way everywhere. And everyone that I've had the pl pleasure of talking with and interviewing, they all say, you know, okay, well, you know, here it is. It started in my adulthood, but it didn't. And nowhere have mm -hmm. I really been able to find where people really dissect it from a childhood's point of view, because that's where it starts. And if you don't know where the root of it began, you really can't cope with it, heal with it. And you know, go through your journey of healing from it. So it's a challenge in that aspect, but you know, it took me decades to realize where mine came from. And I was so not allowed to speak out about it. I was always at fault for things I wasn't even there for. I could not yes. be there. And it was my <laughs> fault. Yeah. And to this day, it, I, I would sit there and go, how is it I blame 
for something I wasn't even geographically present for, but that's what happened. And what, what I just really want to really go into also is, is how is it that one child ends up being put into the, the, the role of a black sheep and another is the golden child. And the night and day difference of those kids is, is unheard of. And then when you try to have any kind of communication, yet alone a relationship with your sibling, they think you're crazy because they don't Mm -hmm. understand. And it's because they're only hearing from the parent point of view. They won't even hear your point of view. And that's what makes it even worse. And, you know, the most, I have learned the most dangerous person in that entire family is the black sheep, because we're the ones that know the truth and we're the ones that will call it out eventually. But that's what makes us the problem. Right. That's why we're the problem. And and I think I actually said it even in, in my book that when you have a problem, what do you do? You get rid of it. You solve it somehow. So we are, as the black sheep, the truth seers, as they sometimes call us, you know, we are the ones removed from the family. We are the ones that uh, the rest of them have to create this narrative about that you can't believe her because she's crazy. We, they have to destroy our credibility. So no matter what we say, other people will follow them. And that that's, oh, that's something that I've struggled with. I, I guess the the injustice of being the one that's ousted or exiled, so to speak, because how is it that all these grown adults that claim to be independent thinkers and seem to be intelligent and seem, you know, to be capable at least of of forming their own opinions, how is it that they're not seeing what's really happening? And if they are seeing what's happening, then why is it that they're buying into it? Are they afraid that they'll be targeted next? Are they afraid to go against the people that are spreading these, you know, ideas about, us as the black sheep that it might happen to them and they're there but what is it because i have been struggling to figure that out and every family has that one there's a narcissist in every family that one domineering person who thinks they're in charge of everyone and everything and nobody will go against them nobody right and then it depends on the level that they are in that narcissistic you know mm-hmm. place because you know, I go back and look at my, I call my bio parents because you know, my grandparents were so influential in my life, but there is not one child out of the three of us that get along with both parents. Like not mm. one of us get along with both. And actually um, two of us are not even allowed on their property. Uh, we're not even, and my daughter was even told you're not allowed on the property. And they told her this years and years oh ago. And she was like, she's still a kid. And it's like, for what? Because I finally, after years and years said, I need to get this off my shoulders. And I I came close. I I came clean. And I've always been this person now growing up because I was always told, Oh, she's lying. She's lying. She's lying. And Mm -hmm. the only thing we have is our word. And so I became someone who just gathered evidence, like nobody's business. Yes. And my, you know, my background's law. And so I always knew evidence, 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 the more you have, the more. And so, you know, I had called up a few years ago to my biological mother who we never had a good relationship at all. And I said, I would like to get, you know, some of our stuff out of their storage. I mean, they live in a 10,000 square foot house and and they have huge storage and I was, they let us have storage there. And so when we pulled up, my daughter and I pulled up, it was like Sanford and Sons. They had everything out on the, <laughs> on the, on the lawn. And 
I rang the doorbell and Faith needed to go to the bathroom and she wasn't allowed to go in the house to go to the bathroom. Oh my gosh. And so she wanted to see their dog and she wasn't allowed. And then she said, can you let the dog out on the stool, you know, on the stoop? No. So then, you know, she was really upset. So I asked her to go sit down and I said, you know, I really contemplated this because I, I, I just didn't know if it was going to do any good, but you know what? I think you have the right to know. And I said, I probably have another 10, 12 inches full of evidence, but I only brought some. You cannot keep these. I will show them to you. And I said, I am well aware of what doing this is, is going to do to me. Um, but I thought you have the right to know. And I said, um, I don't think you know who you're married to. And she went from a lower class when she first met him situation to like, they, they eat out every single meal. They have yardsmen, gardeners, maids, you know, and, and so it was such a shock. She's not going to give that up. And I told her, I'd rather have all the love in the world than all the money in the world. And so I started showing her photographs and I think you and I've talked off camera about this. And I said, um, you know, did you know that when I took Faith on a weekend and he went with us, meaning my biological dad, that one of his women showed up with her kid and she was like, nah. And I said, yeah. And I said, he did, she did. And he, she's like, I don't believe you. Well, here's a picture in the hotel room. And I said, so obviously I'm not lying. What would I accomplish from lying? And right. I said, here they are canoodling at a restaurant. And she's like, well, there's two sides to every story. What's the other side to this? But and you know what? You and I have talked about this off camera because, you know, my my biological mother and her husband, um, who's the only father figure I've ever known, if you can even call him that same situation, huge, like we call it a compound where they live and same thing, gardeners, cleaning lady, the whole thing. But, you know, my mother is the same way. And I noticed that very early on, she doesn't want to hear the truth. And I think it's the same in your situation. They don't want to acknowledge the truth because that would make them accountable to take action, like the normal action that would be taken in that situation. So they have to deny it and you have to be a liar because they don't want to risk losing everything that they have. And like you, my mother, I mean, when my mother and I have no contact uh, and that was her decision because she felt that she could not live her life, you know, her ability to, you know, she's very financially well off with her husband. And she thinks that if she has a relationship with me, it will somehow influence her (laughs) to go against him. And she's not willing to do that. So she just, nope. I just don't have a daughter anymore. Took my pictures off the wall. But my brother now, the golden child, you know, he they're all very close and they vacation together and they just love his new wife. And, you know, they're one big happy family. But it that's what it's about. And, and you know, I think you know that, though, because you're smart, that she just doesn't want to see it. She oh, has right. to deny it. She has to negate it. So she's not only gaslighting you, but she's gaslighting herself so that she feels OK staying in that situation. Right. Well, and I had told her, I said, look, I'm not doing this out of malice. I'm doing this because I think you have the right to know. And I said, he's going to spin this. 
But if there was mm-hmm. nothing happening and nothing going on, why didn't he tell you that she was there? Right. Why didn't he ever mention that? I said, here's a text message he sent me at midnight when they were in the movies at the movie theater. And it said, we're still in the movie. How's her daughter? And I said, this is absolutely not okay. This is not fair. What you're doing is wrong. And I showed her this text message. Well, and not only that, but my brother has no relationship with his dad. And I said, if I wanted to do this to hurt somebody, which is absolutely not what I wanted to do, I would show him all of this. And I bet you, Dana, I have a hundred, if I have one, things from my dad where he was just being so wrong about my brother. Like my mm-hmm. brother is is gay. And it was, I can't have, and I'm quoting him, I can't have a faggot for a son. I couldn't have, you know, oh my gosh, no way. And my brother loves Batman. And so he's like, oh my God. And he would send me pictures of a gay Batman. And he would say, you know, he's not ever bringing his boyfriend to this house. I'm never, he didn't date till he was in his thirties was the first time he ever dated anyone. I knew when he was young, he was gay. And I told him, I said, look, as long as they treat you right and don't put their hands on you in an unwarranted manner, I don't care. And we haven't spoken because all he hears is what his mom says, but he has no relationship with his dad. And this guy is older. Um, He has no idea. My brother has no idea that my parents asked me to research and really get information on him. They, my brother thinks they did it, that they paid for somebody to do it. They have no idea it was me. They lied to his face about it. Um, This guy, you know, maybe is a great guy. Maybe he's a nice guy. I don't know. He is a very big former drug addict. He has a criminal record that we both could wrap all Christmas presents from here to eternity with on his rap sheets. Wow. Um, and this kid is, my brother is so smart. He's a very smart guy, um, with a lot of potential, but he has no self-esteem and no self-worth. And I said, if I knowingly showed him any of this, I know he'd have a mental breakdown. I know he would. And I know he would do something that probably couldn't come back from. And so I never showed him any of these. I've never, because I, I I wouldn't want to hurt him. Like, I know he thinks right. I'm horrible because that's what he hears, but I've never come to him and said, look at all of this that they say about you. Like, this is what they say and think about you. And I, I can't bring myself to do it because what, A, why would I intentionally go out to hurt him? But the point is, is like, and I told my mom, if you will, I said, I know coming clean with this just literally wiped me out of my inheritance. And that's fine. Like, you know, yeah. I, know I walked away from all of it <laughs> and that's fine because it was, yeah. it was held over my head forever. Yeah. And, you know, all I ever wanted was like the pictures of my grandparents, um, the, the monumental things that reminded me of my grandparents, that those are the things that I wanted, but you know, it was always brought to me like, oh, you get the house. You and your brother are going to share the house. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys will get all this money and yada, yada. And I was like, yeah. you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah. My sanity is worth more. My family is worth more. And it doesn't matter to them. It's it's the the facade of look at what I drive. Look at what I where I live. Yep. And why? I can't put my mind in that set that's like, why would it that make the enticing it- to you? Because it makes them feel important. It makes them feel superior, which is the basis of all narcissistic behavior. These are people that actually have a very deep seated insecurity about who they are. And, and, you know, maybe they were neglected as children. Maybe, you know, they feel 
they just feel so much less than other people that the, it, it is all a facade. It's all a show to say, look at me, look at my status, look, because they want praise. They want admiration. They got to fill that okay. ego up because again, it's my, my stepfather is actually the, the big narcissist. Although gosh, my mother, I swear, I never thought she was a narcissist. She definitely enabled and excused and tolerated his behavior, but she has just turned exactly into her husband but yeah they they have the jaguar and the corvette and the harley and the lexus and the uh, i don't care right i don't care but you know what yeah and the house is ridiculous no two people need a six bedroom four and a half bath house and i think there's living quarters above the extra garage like they have a a separate detail it's just ridiculousness Mm -hmm. and that's fine for people that want that and can afford it I mean I I have a big beautiful house I'm very blessed where we live comfortably my husband and I but I don't need this stuff I could live in a tent outside with my husband I could live in the car with my husband but I'm glad about that. And it doesn't make me better than anyone else. But I appreciate like if there's one good thing that came out of being, I I don't even like to say that I was raised by these two people because they did nothing to raise me. They only frowned me and brought me down. I disagree, Dana. I have to tell you, (laughs) they showed you what not to do. They They showed showed me what not to do. Right. And that's where I was going is that I actually have humility. I actually can, you know, I don't care if somebody lives in a trailer or if they live in a $5 million house. To me, they are a human being and they are just as valid and worthy and deserving as anybody else of my time and attention. And it's all about who we are on the inside. And these people that are so, they have to wear the Rolex and they have, it just, it it actually, I'm at the point in my, I mean, I'm going to be 48 next month. I'm like repelled when people like, oh, look at my new car. And it's like some real expensive, fancy car. It's like, I have to sometimes stop myself and be like, okay, this person, this is not a bad person. They have worked very hard and they're very excited. Don't crap all over it. But in my mind, I'm thinking you piece of crap. Like, why do you have to have this? Like, and why are you showing it off? But you know, not everybody is like that, but that when I see like these so-called status symbols, the big houses, the cars, the watches, the clothes, the, like you say, the meals out at these certain restaurants, I'm like, oh, give me a break. Like, you know, I mean, McDonald's isn't my favorite, but like, take me to Chili's, like Culver's, yeah. whatever. Like, I'm good. I love I, Culver's. I, I know. Well, I, out here in Chicago, we have Portillo's. So take me for a hot dog at Portillo's anytime, a true Chicago hot dog. I love it. But yeah, like who, I, I don't need a steak. I don't need a $20 bottle or glass of wine. That's probably like Rio Needy that costs like five bucks for the whole big bottle. Like, I just don't need that. Right. I don't, I, I just, but narcissists do. Yes. Narcissists, it, it's yes. an insatiable need that they have. Um, they just don't know any other way and they get it through people and things and they use people to gain these things and for their resource. And, um, you know, so that's why narcissistic abuse, if, if you're targeted, if you are used by one of these people, you have to be very aware of it. And if you choose it, like our mothers obviously did, 
then that's their business, but I'm good keeping myself apart from it. Do I wish I had a mother? Yes. Doesn't every girl want to have a mother? Absolutely. Even at my age, there's times you want to just, you just want your mom. We have friends, we have aunts and God, but you want your mom, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and we don't have that, but I'd rather not have her in my life than to have what comes with that life with her. Cause even just, you know, these situations where you get so frustrated when, like you said, you're showing her evidence and, and, oh, it's just so frustrating. And I get the whole not being on the property because my grandma was moved in with my mother and stepfather. And I apparently made the mistake of going there on Easter to see my grandmother um, because my grandma called and said, nobody's home, hurry over. So like, I went there thinking, okay, nobody will know. Well, Apparently they'd installed cameras and there yep. the second that I went through that door, there was a phone call and my uncle lied. They said, is Dana there? And he goes, no, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh my gosh, now he's going to get caught lying. So he's panicking. Grandma's panicking. And he was told, tell Dana, she needs to leave. She's not welcome at our house. And I just thought, my God, so now I don't get to see my grandma either. And that was, I've only seen her one other time. I've seen her twice in this whole year and they live seven miles away. It's sad. It's disgusting. It is so sad. It is. It's so sad. And, you know, so many people give the excuse, well, I went through horrific mental trauma growing up, so I have the right to be violent now. No, that's not. No, Mm -mm. you have to break the cycle because if anyone has the right to like go on a mental trauma, you know, spree, be me and you. And we haven't done like, you know, you break the cycle. We're stronger than that. And that's the big thing. You know, I remember my grandparents walked on water. Like I grew up never wanting to disappoint them that they were everything I wanted to be in life. And I went to them because they were my dad's parents. And I went to them and said, how is he your son? And (laughs) I couldn't understand. My grandfather had passed. I was 15. And I was asking my grandmother and I was like, I don't understand how that's your son. And she goes, well, ask yourself this. How are you their daughter? And I was like, oh, interesting. You know, because she's like, how are you their daughter? And she goes, I didn't raise him this way. And she goes, she ruined him. And I was like, that, you know, that makes sense. Like, cause she just looked at me and says, how are you their daughter? Cause that's yeah. not my son. And I was like, wow. When you really take that some simple answer and you really look at it, it makes so much sense. It really does. And, and it just goes to show how influential people can, especially these narcissists. I mean, that's how they get by. That's how they get away with doing the things that they do because they have the ability to persuade people. They can read people so well, they know how to work you to get what they want. But it also makes me sad, you know, to think that there are people like our mothers that allow themselves because they know it. They know it there. If you're showing your mother proof of something, visual pictures, and I've been in that situation, not with a cheating situation or anything, but where I'm like, you were standing two feet away. I know you just heard what he said. <laughs> like, right. don't stand here telling me you didn't hear anything. <laughs> like, That's bull. But when you present them with proof, that's why they have to just negate it. Right. Because they absolutely just choose their situation 
They are fine living in denial because for whatever reason, they want that life. And and maybe even these narcissists have made them believe that they can't have anything that they have now if they weren't with them. And I think that's what a lot of people tell me at least. Yeah. So, you know, we just have to be glad that we are the cycle breakers. I think it's really important to know that like the fact that you have the relationship you have with your parents and mine with mine, that we don't put that on our children. Absolutely. You know, do I want my son to have anything to do with them? Hell no, (laughs) absolutely not. But I am not going to make that choice for him because at the end of the day, my dynamic with them is completely different than my dynamic with anyone else and and, and vice versa. Just like the difference between siblings, my brother's the golden child. I am the ultimate scapegoat. You know, they poo-poo all over me, but he can do no wrong. So I, I trust that my son can make his own conclusions. And I also hope that they treat my son the way they have treated my brother to where he's glorified and everything's wonderful. Had they the first 16 years of my son's life? No, they were nowhere to be found. And that caused some fights because they they just were uninvolved, just like they were uninvolved in my life. But since I divorced my son's father and you know, I, I don't know if they kind of, they kind of swooped in right about then. I don't know if they thought maybe since the dad was out of the picture. They look like the savior. They look like the savior. And maybe they thought they could have more influence because they, they, they probably disliked my ex-husband more than I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's about the only thing that we could all agree on. But my son has a very close relationship with my parents. I don't like it. It feels disloyal sometimes, but I tell myself that is that is his relationship with them, not mine. And he shouldn't have to carry my Absolutely. my pains and the burden of my feelings and, and my injustice into his relationship because one day I'm going to die and I'm sure, you know, <laughs> somebody will be around over there still. And, you know, he'll have family because at the end of the day, that's his family. And and do I think biology and family is all, you know, important? Unfortunately, life has taught me that your family and your tribe are the people who are truly for you. And unfortunately, in my case, that has not always been family, but I don't want to take family away from my kid, just like you're not trying to do it with your daughter. And right, if she they wants to send her. a greeting, right. But if she wants to send a greeting card or or whatever, I love that you're letting her do the right thing. Because I mean, in my mind, it is the right thing. She should do what she feels. And, and you should you are doing that, allowing her to do what she feels is right. How they receive it is in nobody's control. You already know how they're going to receive it. Oh, so of course you feel protective over your daughter and want to spare her of the same pain yep. that they've brought upon you. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have to be the cycle breakers. We cannot keep perpetuating just like even in society, you know, you brought up, you know, uh, about homosexuality and, and, you know, I've come across people that are homosexual that get so angry that, you know, 
and they get violent sometimes. And, and, and it's not even just with homosexuality. I'm not picking on that. Just, I'm just using it as an example, but you know, at the, I just tell people, it's like, you can't expect love and acceptance with hatred. I mean, the hatred's going to beget hatred. Love begets love. And you can't force other people to see things that you're not going to get a 90 year old person from the South to suddenly, you know, be okay with homosexuality and, and expect them not to be a racist or something. I mean, it doesn't make it okay, but you can't control it, but you should not let them bring you down and lower yourself to that kind of behavior either. Right. Well, it's such a difference because like with my dad, you never knew what you were going to get. One minute he was your best friend because he could use you as an scapegoat Mm -hmm. to cover for the women or whatever the case may be. Then you have my mom who had no relationship with me because I had a relationship with my dad for Mm. a while because I was the scapegoat. Well, neither one of them had a relationship with my daughter. And it was like my mom would never do anything with her, never spend any time with her or anything. Right. But my heart breaks, Dana, for my brother because the relationship between him and his mom, my mom, is so twisted. Like, and it's because I've never, I've never seen a relationship. Like I've been asked by other therapists, is it a sexual relationship? Because they, for the longest time, have always gone on vacation together, just the two of them every year. And my mom's even referred to him as her husband. Yeah. And they go (laughs) on cruises together and they share a room and they get those pictures made that make them look like they're a couple. And um, he calls her like eight, nine times a day and he texts her eight or nine times a day and she'll go get groceries for him and go over to, you know, his place. He, he moved out for the first time when he was in his late twenties and he never dated until he was in his thirties. And it was all mom, mom, mom. Like, you know, he would text her all day long and she walked around, she walked around with a phone in her hand as if it was super glued to her hand in case he texted so she could get it instantly. And he got dehydrated and they took him, you know, by ambulance at work. And you would have thought she lost like the love of her life. And it was dehydration. But yet my daughter and I, who had over 135 surgeries combined, to hell with that. Like, you know, whatever. But it it literally like he, he texts her and he's like, oh, he would get in car wreck after car wreck after car wreck. And he would always go to her and she would handle everything for him, makes every bank deposit for him. Um, everything was all him, him, him. Like he goes and, and just does these things. And then he, he follows a band like he, you know, but he's, he has his master's degree and he's so smart, but he's waited tables at the same deli for 18 years and he's done nothing else, but he's so smart and he's undercutting his value. And I can't say anything, but like, you know, everything is mom, 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 mom. And, you know, they go get pedicures together and manicures together. And then they, they just, you know, they share food and feed each other. And it is so, <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I, I'm like, I'm adopted. I was left at the floor, you know, the oh front step of a fire station gosh. or something. But I feel so bad because he's a good kid. And, you know, he's only heard whatever they want to say to him or what she right. is saying to him because he has no relationship with him, my dad. But it, it's heart-wrenching because, you know, now he is 
with this guy they've been together for years and it just it's heart-wrenching because you you think about that and it's like you know my mom would say oh he wrote a thesis and for school and it's so hard to write a thesis and I'm I'm like I've, I've written a book right it's not writing a thesis is harder than writing a book yeah um okay you know and I'm not taking it away from him but it's like he wrote a thesis he's better than you right okay but and that you can never be good enough you can never ever be good enough yeah I had the same thing in my house and and, you know my stepfather would openly compare my brother and I yet I would stand there and be like oh okay but you encouraged him you let him you you provided opportunities for him to be that but but at the same time like why does it matter you know what I mean it it just it was an unfair competition that I never asked to be in in the first place however it was just assumed or I think actually because I'm in the I'm in the process of working on the book about my childhood and you know I feel like I was prevented from developing my potential because very early on, I was always very involved in the arts, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly with music. And it was like, okay, well, we're not paying for lessons anymore. We're not driving you around so you can be in the area's symphonic orchestra, even though you've been first chair and work really hard for that. Oh, and you're in two orchestras, actually, you know, like I could go on with all these things, but you know, my brother walks up to a piano and dings one little note and he's Mozart, you know, I, yeah, literally. And I, and I will never forget. That's actually something, the most recent thing that stung me, you were talking about writing was when I did publish my book. Um, you know, it's a big deal to publish a book. It, I, is. I, it was probably the one thing I finally could feel good enough about myself to say like, wow, good job, girl. No matter, I don't care if book. I sold one or 1 million, but it was like, it was, it was my blood, sweat and tears for three and a half years. And I was very proud of myself and I have a hard time acknowledging my own accomplishments but not once. I know we're estranged, but my goodness gracious, I have yet to have any communication from my mother or stepfather, not even a little note or a text, nothing Mm -hmm. saying good job, or we heard, or not even through third party, like not through grandma, not through, you know, anybody. But boy, when my brother was working on his doctorate in physics and had some study that he was a part of published in some scientific journal. I'm not even kidding. I, I don't know if they bought 50 copies or a hundred copies of stuff like no normal person would normally read. Like we don't even understand that. I mean, when you're at that level of physics, it's so beyond, you know, anything we could comprehend, but I, I, you know, but here I, I wrote a book and it's published and you can actually read and understand it yet nothing, no acknowledgement. And that's, that's the disparity they made our entire lives. Yes. What do you think they're going to do when you write the one about your childhood? Well, you know what? I'm at the point where I don't care. I mean, I'm just going to say it. The truth is the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, I think even with the book that I put out, you know, there were some hints of it because I think when you do have, um, 
when you are minimized as a child, whether it's through, you know, any kind of abuse, usually there's at least verbal or emotional abuse involved when you're diminishing any, any child's spirit. But I think that child grows up like I have, and you could probably relate, you know, you said not feeling good enough, not feeling, you feeling capable and kind of, you know, there's all these terrible things that ruin our self-esteem and our idea of ourselves. And my intent is not to, this is not vengeance. It's not about even exposing them or anybody. It's about finally telling the truth because I do not want anybody in this entire world to feel the things that I have felt. And I have gone through so much you know, different therapies and different ways of resolving issues. I don't think the healing journey ever ends. I mean, even just last week, uh, right. Thanksgiving holidays are awful. I was, I was almost my own kind of monster on Thanksgiving because I hate knowing that my brother is there with his wife having a meal and grandma's there with them, but nobody even said happy Thanksgiving, or do you have a place to go or you know, it's just the fact that people can just erase me from the, it hurts. It, does it hurts hurt. to know that somebody actually thinks that I am nothing Yeah, and it stays with me no matter how much therapy, it's always going to be there and, and it affects everything. And I feel like I've gotten it all different ways because, you know, it, it, I don't have my mother and stepfather and they have taken most of the family with them. I do have a few family members that communicate with me, but I don't, there's no holidays with them. I'm not invited to birthdays and celebrations. And then my ex, I was with him 25 years. I mean, my father-in-law used to introduce me to people as his daughter, which was funny because then people would be like, isn't that your son? Like they're together. That's weird. But you know, they were my family, but when we divorced, it's again, they just erased me. Never will talk to me again. But again, my ex was a narcissist. So he had spread, he had actually even told me that he had told his family atrocious lies about me to make sure that they hated me and that they would never speak to me again. So now I didn't have that family. And now I'm remarried And my husband, I've known his family probably at least 16 or 17 years, much longer than I knew him. And there's a narcissist in his family that decided that I wasn't allowed to be part of their family either. Um, Probably because she knew I was writing a book about narcissism and, and that I speak out about it. And she is, boy, she is a prime example. And, and, uh, so she she rallied the family, even had two interventions to try to stop the wedding. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, it was fun stuff. So now I have, you know, the resistance from that side. It's like, I just feel like everywhere I turn and, and my husband just, he feels so bad for me because he's like, you're like the sweetest thing ever. You don't even go anywhere because you have social anxiety and you're terrified of people now. <laughs> somehow you just rub people wrong. And I think I said, I think it's because I just don't have tolerance for BS. And and that goes back to being that scapegoat and being that truth seer. But the problem is, is that 
I see through people. I see who they really are. I see through their facades. I see through all their words and their fake crap. And I don't, I'm not one of these, like, I'm not, I don't like confront people and embarrass them or, you know, I mean, I could be the, the confrontational police and call them out, but I don't. I wait till I get home and do it with my husband, (laughs) you know, but, but it's just amazing that they can sense that, you know, who they are and they are so terrified of being, you know, exposed to everybody Mm -hmm. for who they really are because they know how ugly they are inside that they have to make you, well, in this case, me, they have to make me the one who's the problem. They have to make me the faulty one. I'm defective. I'm, I'm. Everywhere I turn, I'm called crazy. And and there's all the, there have been so many rumors about me and I get the few family members that do communicate with me in the different uh, sides of the family tell me, oh, you know, your mother just said she doesn't talk to you because of this, or your mother can't love you because of that. I'm like, why is she even talking about me when she doesn't even talk to me? She doesn't know anything about me, but um, that's, that's how narcissism works and it's unfortunate, but it makes it so you just stop caring. I mean, right. at this point I have heard, you know, from the more recent narcissist in my life, you know, that I only married my husband to get his house. I'm like, I had my own house that was in my, like, and I worked very hard for it. Like I didn't need his house, but I I'm, I've heard I'm pregnant because, you know, I'm trying to trap him and I'm like, okay, one, if you knew me, I I'm autoimmune and I've had, I, I had many miscarriages just trying to have my son. So it's disgusting even to suggest that I'm pregnant because I, I well, and I'm going to be 48. I'm too tired to have a baby, but I would love if I could be pregnant with my, we'd make the cutest little baby. But the man's 58. No, we're not pregnant. But I do want to maybe go get, buy a baby bump and walk around town with like <laughs> one of those candy cigarettes. Because it's like if people want to talk about me, I'm almost at the point where I just don't care to the extent that I almost want to promote more talk right. about me. Like if you want to be that obsessed, like I see them sneaking, you know, looking at my profile on social media. I'm like, you, you don't talk to me, but you're, you're worried hey, about what I'm doing, but I'm like, Hey, you're I'm here. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I loved, I love Taylor Swift anyway. I'm a, I'm an old Swifty, but man, I love that song anti-hero. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. That's just who I am now. It's my theme song. <laughs> what, why do you think that or how do you think they as parents and I don't think they deserve that title um how do they choose which one of us gets the reigning title of black sheep or a scapegoat and who gets the golden child I mean how do they come up with that when we're so young well I know how it happened in my situation but my situation is probably a little different than other people's in my case my mother got pregnant with me as a teenager with her boyfriend back then. And so, I mean, it was during the time where it wasn't okay to have a baby when you were a teenager, especially unwed. So she didn't want me. But what's really interesting is I don't think she wanted any children because I was born on her 17th birthday. And right after I was born, like I came out, the placenta came out and she had the doctor tie her tubes so she couldn't have any more babies. So, (laughs) 
she really didn't want kids. And I think it was just for me, all I had to hear through my childhood was, I mean, she would refer to me as an accident. It, it was like talked about right in front of me. She would constantly make me feel guilty that she couldn't finish high school, that all the people, you know, all the kids at school called her a whore and deemed her easy and, and all the stigma, the judgment that she went through. She was very ashamed, but she put it on me. And you didn't tap her head and say, Hey, I need, I know. I know, but in her mind, did the deed, (laughs) you know what though? I agree. And I said that to her once because I just, you know, as an adult, because I got tired of even my brother who's 14 years younger than me. And by the way, apparently you can have your, a tubal ligation reversed because that's how she ended up having the baby with her, her husband. But, um, you know, we've had that argument because that's the thing is that why am I paying for my mother's sins? But this goes back to what, when you were going back to your, you know, biological mother and saying, I have evidence, here's what happened. They don't want to see it the way it really is. My mother cannot conceive of the fact that she put herself in a situation and she did something that resulted in, in me, (laughs) which, was not a good thing to her um, and something that she just would never. So, so I was just always going to be this. And then she married this man, you know, like I said, ultimate narcissist. And it was offensive to him that he's with this woman who has a child that's not his. Like I, I, I'm actually working on that chapter right now in my book and, and going back to, you know, I felt like, I was being replaced because mm-hmm. I wasn't good enough. My biology was deficient. It, it wasn't right. So I couldn't be part of their family. You know, they had to have their own child. If I had to hear that one more time, their own child. And when their, their own child came along, I was actually told to my face that I was no longer a part of their family, that it was them and their kid. And there was me and they shouldn't even have to pay for me because I was somebody else's kid. It, it was so, <laughs> I'm laughing because otherwise I'd be crying, but this is healing right here. I mean, yes. you, you get to the point where you just don't cry anymore because you realize how awful it is that people made a little child. I mean, if you think about it, we can, we all know like a five or six year old little kid, imagine saying those things to that child. And it, I mean, if I heard anyone, even like in a Walmart, talking to a kid that way, I'd have to speak up. I don't care what your relation to that child is. You do Absolutely. not speak to a child that way. That is awful. Like call try, child services. Try being nine and, and hearing, I wish I had miscarried you instead of your brother. Because she lost a child in between. And then she had my brother after that. Like, oh I my goodness. You were the gracious. one I had miscarried. And that's horrendous. I know. And I was nine. Yeah. I have heard a few times that my mother said she wanted to abort me, but she couldn't find a doctor back then to do it. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Like, I, I don't know. Why, why would you even say that to me? Like, I don't know how, what, what is the appropriate response? I, I remember I, I said, thank you. Cause I didn't know what else to say. Yeah, I, I got, my dad said to me after I had another surgery because of the abuse he said to me you know what you used to be stunning you used to turn heads and now all you're doing is turning stomachs 
Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, that was like the norm. That was the norm. And, you know, it, it just literally is like, I, I always stood front and not allowed that to, to my kid because I was like, you will not speak to my child in that manner. And I would say, you know, walk away and I would shield her. I'd stand fast and say, oh yeah, if you want it, you say it to me. Like my, my daughter had had a surgery. Um, there was a period of time where they used it to their advantage, telling everybody that their daughter mm-hmm. had gotten beaten up and it, it was this horrific event and yada, yada, yada. And their granddaughter was special needs and had all these things and surgeries and blah, 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 blah. And I was told I couldn't even make a healthy child. And isn't that great how they use that? I, I, it, I, am I just, felt like it knocked the wind out of me. When yeah, but I, I'm sure it did because that's reminding me. I, I swear we just have so many similarities. It's reminding me of, um, you know, again, I had I had multiple miscarriages um, because I, I'm autoimmune and, and I had difficulty carrying a pregnancy past six weeks. Um, my husband would breathe on me. I'd get pregnant. I just couldn't carry them. So the, I had my son in May of 2003, healthy, wonderful, uh, thrilled that he, he was here that Christmas. My mother puts out, I didn't see this until I got this in the mail. You know how people type out this whole Christmas newsletter. I don't even know why she did it because she had nothing really good to share. She put in the Christmas newsletter <laughs> that their first and only grandchild had been born that year. And it's probably the only one that they're ever going to have because their daughter has, can't even carry a pregnancy or it said something to that effect. And I just remember standing there and my mouth dropped open. And I mean, again, like, what do you say? I, I mean, thank you. Thank you for letting everybody know that again, I'm deficient in something like, and especially something touchy like that. It's so personal. Our whole biology, I mean, our biblical purpose as women is to procreate. And you have made me feel like completely deficient my whole life. And now I can't even do like, don't you think I felt bad enough over right. all the little angels I now have in heaven. And you're going to put that out for the world. And no, you know what? I never was able to, I, I was pregnant after that and I could never carry another to term, but shame on her. Absolutely. But this is what it's like to be the scapegoat. This is what it's like. I mean, because a couple of years, I think it was only a year or two after that, I opened the Christmas newsletter I, I wish I would have kept it so people, but there are witnesses because I got a few phone calls when everyone else got it. The very first letter of it said, the only thing good in my life is my son. And I'm like, oh, hi, I'm your daughter. Um, I have your only grandchild. And, you know, like, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. But Again, I think we get to the point where we can talk about it openly without crying our eyes out. I mean, I think we've both probably shed many, many tears and so many gut wrenching sobs. But I think, you know, you were talking about like, you know, it, it, we just develop a tough skin. I think when, when you heard it your whole life, the next thing that comes, it, it almost just annoys you or ticks you off more than it makes you upset. Because I'm not internalizing any it anymore because I, 
I see it for what it is. It's to diminish me. So you feel good. You have now created another human being that you have raised completely opposite of how you raised me. Almost in my situation, I feel like they almost did that to prove me wrong so that me running around saying, oh, they're terrible parents. They don't know how to parent, call child services. They have another example of a child that's perfect and wonderful. And, you know, he's basically their puppet, but okay, fine. So then it makes me look really bad because I'm over here, you know, being a little erratic and emotional because of all the things I'm being told. Justifiably. And justifiably, but it looks crazy. Let's use that term again, compared to this wonderful example of their parenting over there. Or lack thereof. Well, they did. They parented him wonderfully. Right, because but us, they the didn't. Child. Us, they didn't. Right. But nobody knows that because people have this idea that, you know, if you have all these kids in the same house, they must be raised the same. Well, guess what? They're not. I remember back in the 90s, a, a, anybody that has child issues, go read A Child Called It. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most terrific cases in California history, but I, I even reread it this year. Out of the five children that family had, it was only the one that was abused and it was only the mother abusing that child and just like in my situation the 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 other parent turned their head knew it was happening felt bad but didn't do anything about it nobody did anything so people are capable of being raised differently in a home where there's multiple children and the same parents yes and that's what I'm hoping that we obtain our even more listeners that can hear and say, you know what? I relate to this. Finally, someone's talking about what, unfortunately, I've been through, you know, and they get it. They understand it. You know, it's one thing to go and get your degree in it and be able to sit and talk mm-hmm. clinically. And then it's another thing to say, and I hate that people have to go through it to understand it, but then you have the empathy because you've lived it and you get it, but nobody wants to talk about it because they're such fear um, of the judgment and you know what to hell with the judgment you know you yes know, if it's going to help somebody then more power to it because people need to realize it's not our fault we didn't do it I mean we were blamed for things our whole life we had nothing to do with and you know people just feel like okay I'm just going to go into this dark deep corner in the back of the wall and put my head down in shame because I am at fault for everything negative that ever happened to these people because I'm constantly told that it's my fault, but they weren't even involved in it. And hopefully we can bring some light to them and maybe let yes. them see that they are worth fighting for. They are worth getting up, dusting themselves off to hell with them. Watch out. I'm making a comeback. Here it is. And they get some understanding and some tools for their toolbox on how to heal in the right way. Exactly. And and I hope that people do understand that and, and, you know, to tag along with what you just said, it's like when you're a female and you go to the gynecologist, you know, I have a hard time going to a male gynecologist because it's not even about feeling like I'm being violated because a man's touching me in places. It's that he's never had a period. He's never had a baby. He's read it in a book, but it's the same kind of thing in our situation. Like my husband grew up with like a beaver cleaver family watching the Waltons and Disney every Sunday and good for him. He doesn't get what goes on. He sees what goes on and what I have to deal with, but he doesn't get it. 
And that's good. I don't want him to, but there's so there's a sense of community, I suppose, among those of us who have been through it and who, who do get it. And when you and I, like, we are able now to verbalize it and to give people that perspective. And I think it's important to do that so that people can then go and hopefully find their own acceptance and you need to understand it to be able to accept it because guess what? You are a doctor. You are changing lives every day. I'm doing my thing. I'm reaching people, you know, through my writing and podcasting, just like you with your podcasting, you know, you don't have to be a product of your circumstances. You can rise above it. Your circumstances don't define who you are. Maybe somebody else has an idea of who you are, but that's not who you really are. You are somebody that has something to contribute to this world and you should go and do it and be it. Don't let anyone stop you. Well, I am very, very excited about this series and I'm so grateful that you're going to be doing it with us. And so we are going to uh, work on the name of it because we've got to come up with a name (laughs) and we will get this together and we will be back with you guys next week. So I can't thank you enough, Dana, for being here today and making this happen. I know we're going to help a lot of people. Yes, we are. Thanks for having me. Of course.